Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, the Gospel of John. Um, I want to talk to you today about a topic, and if, if you're taking notes, I've titled this message, Jesus for President. Now, before you get all excited, <laughs> let me give you the, the backstory behind this. Um, I had anticipated maybe teaching something else, and about a week ago, God just started dealing with me. In fact, you know, my family was in town, and, and so I'm thinking, man, mama's going to be here, daddy's going to be here, all my family, man, I want them to be proud of little Mikey, little Mikey up there preaching the word, and, and just all fired up, and you know, I wanted to preach something that I felt comfortable with and familiar with, and man, hey, this is going to make mama proud. And, uh, but, but God started talking to me about the culture. He started talking to me about the country that we live in and understanding the temperature of the times. And I just felt like it was important for us as a church to be dialed in to what's going on around us. I didn't want to just say some nice, you know, clean cut, pretty sermon, tie it up, put a bow on it. Hey, wasn't that great? But yet we're kind of in a bubble as a church. I don't want to be isolated from what's happening around us. I feel like as as a church, if we're going to make a difference, we can't afford to be isolated. We got to be integrated. We've got to be involved. And uh, God doesn't want us, come on, there's a good place to clap your hands. There's a good place right there. God does not want us to be disengaged. Uh, we can't afford to isolate. Um, the very culture we're in needs the answer we have. Can I have a better amen? You know, every time you turn on TV, Every time you see the news or any kind of media outlet or if you go online, there's always something, and it, it's everywhere, you know, Democrat, Republican, what's happening in the political race and, and what's going on in our country. And, you know, you got hot-button issues like the economy or, or there's breaking news of another terrorist attack or, you know, what's going on in immigration or, you know, who knows what bathroom to use these days. Everybody's, everybody's kind of up in arms, you know, and, and there's honestly, there's several different ways you can look at all of this. And I know that there are different sentiments and feelings. And, and perspectives that are out there. But sometimes you can hear all of the, that stuff and fear can just jump on you. And you're thinking, man, we're living in some crazy days. Is the end of the world coming? I mean, come on, the sky is falling, man. You'd be like, oh, no, not another terrorist attack or somebody hating this person or saying this about that person. You know, sometimes people get on Facebook and they blast somebody. Can I take a moment and encourage you as a church body? You don't have to get on Facebook and blast every person who has a different perspective than you. I think we, we've got to be careful. And I know everybody's passionate and fired up. And, man, ooh, man, we're talking stuff now. Ooh, Pastor, you're stepping in it now, boy. And I know everybody's got strong feelings and opinions. But please, 
Don't ruin your testimony as a lover of Jesus. But when you hate somebody else or demean somebody else, that doesn't reflect very well on who Jesus is. So you got to be careful. Don't let fear jump on you. You know, don't start hating people on Facebook. I know some people right now are very nervous. Say, oh, pastor, you're bringing politics up into the pulpit. Ooh, you're bringing politics. Man, you're preaching issues today. No, I'm not. I'm preaching Jesus. And Jesus has a lot to say about every issue. He can solve every problem, every dynamic. And I know there's probably a, a, a group of people, and I kind of like this group of people too. Man, you're going to hunker down and you're going to buy you some weapons. You're going to get some ammo. Come on, you got your bottle of water. Come on, talk to me. Come on. Man, hey, man, if this thing's going down, bless God. I love you. I will find you. I'm going to call you. If that's you and you got a cache of weapons and a stockpile of ammo, thank God for you. I'm going to call you if I need you. But, but, I, but I do think we got to be careful. Oh, man, wait, the end of the world is coming. We just got to hold on and wait for Jesus to get Lord, if you just Lord, if, if you don't come by November, Jesus, I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> you see, everybody is talking about the, the, the culture and the climate of our country. And my fear is, as a church, we're, we're silent. And, and there could be some thoughts and ideas and mentalities that begin to creep in. And if we're not careful, we'll forget the clarity that God has given us in the scriptures. You know, because the last time I checked, Jesus wasn't about the elephant and he's not about the donkey. He's about the lamb. Not about Democrat. Not about Republican. How many of you know Jesus is not confined to a political party? And I think it's important that as a church, we get our focus back on what really matters. I was thinking about it this week. You know, I'm not an American who happens to be a Christian. I am a Christian who happens to be born in America. And so my loyalties, my first allegiance, and I love this country. I'm very patriotic. But my first allegiance is not to the flag, but it's to the cross. And we are citizens of another kingdom. Can I have a good amen? And so I think it's important that we focus as a church, as a body of believers, on what matters most. I want to talk to you about Jesus for president. How many like Mike? He's got my vote right here. Now, now, please, let, let me give you some context before I jump into the book of John because I'm not, in, I'm not uh, implying that Jesus has to run for office. How many of you know Jesus is not trying to garner all of the superdelegates? He doesn't need any votes. He's not waiting for an endorsement to receive power. How many of you know that Jesus has already been given full power and authority by God the Father? And he's not, and even the president, that's an elected office. Jesus is not waiting to be elected. He's waiting for his father to say, son, go get your children. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as president. He's not coming back as prime minister. He is coming back as king of all kings and Lord of all lords. And we will bow our knee to the name of Jesus. Come on, if you believe that, put your hands together this morning. Get me fired up. 
Dad, is this okay? Am I doing all right? Okay. Dad's good. The Gospel of John, John chapter 6. Um, today, I'm not trying to preach an issue. I'm trying to point people to Christ. Um, I'm not trying to change people's minds about politics. I'm not, there's no persuasion here today. We're just going to look at the authority of the Scripture. If Jesus were running for office, what platform would he run on? I think he would run on the platform of himself. You know, in, 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 in the one-year Bible reading, and I hope you're still tracking along in our, in our Scripture reading this year, we're in the Gospel of John, and I thought it was amazing, the different snapshots of who Jesus is. Listen, if we're going to point people to Jesus in a country that's in chaos and confusion, we're going to have to know who we're pointing to. We're going to have to know who Jesus is. And there are seven different snapshots, and I don't have time to preach all of it in this setting. In fact, what I may do is just split it up. I'll do part of it today, and then you come back for first Wednesday, and I'll finish it up on a Wednesday night. But there are seven different snapshots in the Gospel of John. There are seven statements that Jesus makes about himself. If Jesus were to write an autobiography, this is the closest thing that we have. This is the assessment of Jesus about his life, about his ministry, and about his identity in his own words. These are the words of Jesus about himself. So in a sense, you could call this Jesus' selfies. He's taking a selfie. He said, if you want to know who I am, let me show you. In the Gospel of John, there are seven statements that he makes when he says, I am, I am. And it's interesting because in Exodus chapter 3, God originally used this language when he was speaking to Moses. Moses had a call from God, and, and God said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and you tell him to let my people go. And Moses, in fear and trembling, says, well, wait a second. Who am I going to say it is that sent me? And God said, you tell him, I am that I am. In other words, everything you need, Moses, that's who I am. Aren't you glad that God fills in every gap? Any deficit that we feel in our life, Lord, I'm so much not this, I'm not this, but God says, wait a second, you may not be, but I am. God started this language in Exodus 3. Jesus finishes it in John. Look at John chapter 6. And I want to read several different pictures, show you who Jesus is and why I believe Jesus has my vote for president. John 6, 35, Jesus said these words. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. I want you to circle that phrase or underline that phrase in your Bible. If you've got a red letter edition Bible, these words are in red. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, Jesus says, I am bread. That literally means he's the one that fills our hunger. Jesus says, I'm bread. Why is that important to us? Because he knows the hunger that's within every human heart. He says, you're hungry? I'm bread. I can fill that hunger. Now, let me give you some context. In John 6, Jesus had just performed the miracle of the, the feeding of the multitudes, the 5,000 men. So he, he does this miracle, and he multiplies fish and, and loaves of bread, and he feeds multiplied thousands of people. And then the very next day, this multitude wakes up, and they're searching for Jesus. They're trying to hunt him down. You know why? Jesus fed them the night before, and they woke up the next day, and they were hungry again. How many of you have ever eaten a good meal, and you ate so much, you thought you were going to pop? 
And the waitress comes to your table and says, listen, can I interest you in dessert? And you're like, oh, no, don't have room. In fact, if you got a wheelbarrow, that would be better. Come on, how many ever said that? Just wheel me out to the car. I just, I don't think I'm going to eat for the next three days. And then you wake up the next day and you know what you're thinking about? I need a bagel. You see, this is the, the, the multitude. They're chasing after Jesus the very next day, and they're, they're wanting to find out, hey, Jesus, where are you? You know why? Because we're hungry again. That thing you did for us yesterday, can you do that again today? Isn't it amazing how you can, you can be a part of an experience, and, and it can satisfy you, but temporarily, and then you're hungry again? H- have you ever been so hungry you can't even think straight? How many of you, your, your attitude is directly proportional to your food intake? If you're, if you're, if you're hungry, you're angry. That, that how hangry, how does that, does that identify anybody here? Yes, yes. <laughs> this week, this past week, we were meeting with all of our campus pastors, and um, we had the meeting first. I wanted to take care of business first, and then we were bringing in lunch. And so I wanted to make sure that the guys were focused on what we were talking about, and then when, when the meeting was over with, then we were going to eat in fellowship. So we were closing the meeting, and I asked Pastor Timmy up, up in St. Francisville, he's our campus pastor, I said, Timmy, won't you go ahead and just close us out in prayer? And so Timmy starts praying, and he starts praying, and he's praying. And, man, he's praying for Mozambique. He's praying for Swaziland. Man, we prayed for Honduras. We prayed for Spain. We prayed for Argentina. Listen, at the end of this prayer, I think the whole world was saved. (laughs) Three pastors fell out, and Timmy thought that it was in the Holy Ghost. I'm like, no, Timmy, they're starving, okay? (laughs) Can you land the plane? Sometimes the hunger inside of you will drive you to search for different things. And the crowd was searching for Jesus because he fulfilled their physical hunger. But Jesus says, wait a second. If you'll taste of me, not just the the fish and the loaves, but I am the bread of life. You know what bread represents? Nourishment. Bread represents satisfaction. Now, here's why I think this is important. I feel like our nation is poised and positioned for the greatest revival we've ever seen. And here's why. Because we have eaten and tasted everything this world has to offer, and we're still not satisfied. Media, uh, materialism, popularity, fame. I'm telling you, whatever the world has thrown to us, it has left us empty. And I feel like there's a longing, there's a craving inside of every human heart. You want to know what your divine purpose is. You want to know why on earth you are here, and the world can't give that to you. People have chased things that they thought would make them happy, and on the other side of it, they realize, I'm still not satisfied. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You know what? When you live for yourself, your life is one empty experience after another. But when you surrender to Jesus, it's amazing how you can taste of him and never be hungry for anything else but him. Come on, do you believe that? In fact, I I love this scripture, Psalm 34, verse 8. I I love what David says. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on, can somebody hum at me today? Mm -hmm. Come on, when you eat that gumbo and it's good, you go, mmm. God says, taste of me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. All the joys of those who take refuge in him. You ever try to get, parents, you ever try to get your kids to eat their vegetables? 
How many know that can be a challenge? They put a plate of veggies in front of them. What do they do? They make excuses. Ah, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. You're like, baby, look, lima beans are good for you. They're yummy. I don't like it. Well, have you ever tried it? No, but I know I don't like it. Come on, parents, are you with me? I mean, no, you're trying to convince these kids. Wait a second. Don't judge whether or not you like it until you've tried it. Now, how many know you may have to put some Tony Sashways on them lima beans? But Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and if you'll taste of me, there's, there's no experience in this world that can satisfy you like I can. I think if Jesus were teaching this in South Louisiana, he'd say, I am the red beans and rice of life. Come on, somebody. I am the etouffee of life. I am the gumbo of life. Anybody getting hungry this morning? You know, what's interesting is the day before, Jesus turned to one of his disciples and said, Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? Philip, where are we going to buy bread? And yet now we see the bread of life is actually buying us. And we receive communion today. We recognize that bread, that wafer represents the body of Jesus. He said, give us this day our daily bread. I want you to know this. Jesus will not only provide what you need day to day, but he'll provide for you for the rest of your days. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Bread represents fulfillment. Bread represents nourishment. The second thing, flip over to John chapter 8. We read this this week. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he said, I am the light of the world. I want you to circle that or underline that. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Can I have a good amen? Second thing, not only is he bread, but number two, he is light. And you know what that means? That Jesus is busy pushing back the darkness. This is the beautiful thing about what Jesus offers us. Not only does he offer us nourishment to fill our hunger, but he illuminates our lives and pushes back darkness. Now, in John chapter 8, when he was teaching this, this was during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And history tells us that there was a candlelight ceremony that took place in the court right there in front of the temple. And Jesus, in that candlelight ceremony, is seeing the natural light, and then he's referring to himself as the spiritual light. Here's what he was drawing upon. Because those Israelites knew their history. And they knew that when God brought them out of Egypt, that they spent years wandering in the, prom- in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, the Bible says that God, not only did he give them a cloud in the daytime, but he gave them a fire. He gave them a light at night. You know what that light represents? Direction. Light helps you see things that you can't see when you're in the dark. And this is why I feel it's so important, because we live in a culture that is growing increasingly dark. When it comes to morality, when it comes to the fear of the Lord, when it comes to being able to distinguish right from wrong, it's amazing how we struggle in this day and age to identify what's right and what's wrong. But yet Jesus says, I've come to illuminate the darkness. Now, let me be quick to say this. Okay, a quick question. How many of you have ever been surprised to hear a dog that actually barked? When a dog barks, does that surprise anybody? No. Why? 
because that's what dogs do, right? Or when you hear a duck quack, does that mess anybody up? No? Now, if a duck was barking, that would be a little confusing. Yeah. Okay, what about a cow? If you heard a cow moo, duck quack, dog bark, nobody's surprised, right? Because that's what they do. Listen, why does it surprise us when sinners sin? Why are we so surprised? <gasps> I can't believe. Guess what? That's what a sinful nature produces. Listen, if Jesus didn't come and redeem us, the only thing that would come from us is darkness and evil works. And yet sometimes we live in this culture and we want to criticize the darkness. We want to condemn the darkness when Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't criticize darkness. Shine your light. Come on, are you with me? Be a light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. When you say yes to Jesus, you accept that light into your life. It illuminates your heart, your spirit, and God calls us to be a light in darkness. Can I have a good amen? And that's why I feel like it's important for us. Let me just speak personally now. because, And I think you know this. If you've been to Healing Place for any amount of time, I am not a doomsday kind of guy. I'm really not. I'm not into criticizing people, you know, condemning people, judging. I just, because I look in the mirror and I think, well, if it weren't for the grace of God, I'm capable of doing the exact same thing. I am an eternal optimist. So when it comes to our country, as dark as things are, I'm telling you, the, the, the light shines brightest in the deepest, darkest of nights. And this little light of mine... I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine all over Baton Rouge. I'm going to let it shine. Come on, how many remember singing that song back in the day? This little light of mine, uh, uh. I'm going to let it shine, uh, uh. This little light of mine, uh, uh. I'm going to let it shine. Okay, okay, check this out, check this out. If Jesus is the light of the world and you've said yes to Jesus, guess what? Then you illuminate something. You're not the source of that light. He is. But Jesus said, don't take that light and put it under a basket. You need to put it out there on a lampstand so those things in darkness now all of a sudden, whoo, hey, we can see. Are you with me? This is a big deal. That's why I believe that as a nation we're positioned for revival. And as a church, we are right where God wants us to be because he wants us to be a beacon of hope in the midst of hopelessness. I'm not looking at the news criticizing people and parties and this person and that individual and this agenda. I'm thinking, oh, here's a great chance for the church to shine for Jesus. You know, when Rachel and I were youth pastors the, the first 10 years of the church, I remember about year two or three just being so frustrated. We were struggling, couldn't see any growth, couldn't get kids to come to church and trying to get teenagers, hey, come to church, come to church. You know, we're trying to build the youth group and just didn't see anything happening. It was frustrating. And I'm, I'm begging people, hey, come to church, come to church, man, come to church. You need to be in church, come to church, come to church, come to church. And God spoke to me and said, wait a second, Mike, you, you kind of got this thing all wrong. I didn't tell you to yell at people and say, come to church, come to church, come to church. I told you to go to them, go to them, go to them, go to them. So you know what we did? We started taking pizza to high school campuses, and we got on campuses, and we started going to them. We started going to them. Hey, bait them with pizza, hook them with Jesus. (laughs) Right? 
Jesus say be fishers of men. It, hey, pizza's the bait. Jesus is the hook. I wasn't begging people to come to church. That's not even biblical. He says, go into all the world. Go to them, go to them, go to them. Listen, take your light to a place that needs it the most. Darkness. That's why some of you work in the places that you work, because God wants you to be a light. Some of you go to school in difficult places. Some of you live in neighborhoods, and you got your, your, your circle of life. God's put you there on purpose. Quit criticizing the darkness. Instead, shine your light. Light doesn't make any noise. It's simply busy pushing back darkness. Isn't that amazing? That's why it doesn't take a Facebook post. Doesn't take you, you preaching a sermon to somebody. Listen, if you'll live it first, then you'll build credibility with those that watch you and their hearts become open and whatever's dark inside of them, listen, that darkness doesn't spill on you. Light comes from you and shines inside of them. Isn't it amazing? You ever been in a dark room and, and man, you want to sleep? And man, you, you were thinking, man, I'm going to sleep till noon. But you left that curtain open just about two or three inches. And what happens? That darkness doesn't spill outside. It doesn't come out of your bedroom and spill outside into the backyard. The light that's shining comes streaming into your room. That tells me this, that light is always greater than darkness. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I love this statement by C.S. Lewis. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. It's amazing what people can discover when the light is turned on. Jesus said, I'm bread. If you're hungry, I feel every desire. He says, I'm light. If you stumble in darkness, I can give you some direction. But then finally, in John chapter 10, and I want to ask the band to come up. John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus says this. He explained it to him this way. He says, I tell you the truth. Everybody say the truth. I know there's a lot of rhetoric that we hear, but Jesus speaks truth. He says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate. Everybody say the gate. I'm the gate for the sheep. All who came before me, they were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Hear me. A lot of voices that are happening in culture today. And if you listen to wrong voices, you will make wrong choices. But Jesus says, wait a second though. I am the gate and the true sheep they're not going to listen to those other voices. Look at what he says in verse 9. He repeats himself. Yes, I am the gate. And those who come in through me, they will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The last thought I want to leave you with is this. Not only is Jesus bread that fills every, all the hungry places in our soul, not only is he the light, that gives us direction and illuminates our path. But the third thing is, he is the gate. That means Jesus is the doorway to the life you've always wanted. 
everything you've ever wanted in life, you will find through one passageway, Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, here's why this is important. Because shepherds would sometimes mix their flocks together and they would put the sheep all in one pen and they, they would shut the gate and they would lock that gate and the shepherd would stand at the gate and would give access to those who come in and those who go out. You see, the gate is all about access. And the beautiful thing about Jesus, he opens a door for us. Every dream, every desire, everything you've ever longed for, you can chase a bunch of other things, but you will only find it in Christ. Jesus says, I am that gate. I'll give you access to things, to places, to opportunities that you could never have on your own. Jesus is that opportunity. He's the gate. You know, I thought was fascinating when studying this. At the very beginning of human history, when Adam and Eve were in that, that garden, that paradise, Scripture says that sin entered in, and because of their sin, the consequences of that caused them to be banished from the garden. And the Scripture says that when, when God kicked them out of Eden, that he placed an angel at the gate, and that fiery sword guarded that gate. Access had been lost. And do you know from that day to this day, humanity has longed to get back to paradise. There's been a longing with inside of every single one of us to get back to paradise. And Jesus says, you know what? What Adam and Eve lost in the garden through me, you can have again. But not just here on earth. You can have paradise and eternity in heaven with God. And Jesus is the gate. Now, now, please hear me, church. You're going to hear people that say all religions are the same. All religions end up in the same final destination. There are different paths, but at all, all roads lead to one. I'm going to tell you what, that's not true. It's not true. According to, to your Bible, Scripture tells us. Now listen, there are 7 billion people on the planet. I, I recognize there are probably 7 billion different ways to get to Jesus. But there's only one way to get to God. Now, your path to Jesus is different than mine. But Jesus is the gate. The, the way. He says, I am the way. The truth. There's another I am. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Why is this important? It's important not just for our country, but it's important for you, for your soul, and for your family. Listen, these are great days. I'm going to tell you what. These are amazing days for us to live in. I'm not afraid of the future. I don't want you to be afraid of the future. God's placed you here. You know why? Because you know the bread of life. What is Christianity? It's, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We found bread. We know what feeds us. Man, we live in darkness. Hey, we're in the world, but we're not of it. My goodness. These are some amazing days. You know, the scripture says in the last days, perilous times will come. Do we not see that? People calling wrong right and right wrong. I mean, there is so much confusion. 
Who's right? Who's wrong? Who do you listen to? Where do you go? What do you do? In the last days, perilous times will come. But the scripture also says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. How many of you, you want to be a part of that outpouring? God has always had a remnant. God has always had a remnant. He puts his hand on his people. He leads them and guides them. We'll read more about it in the Gospel of John. I don't want you to miss the rest of this. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to tell you this, and I'm not a doomsday guy. You know this. Judgment's coming. Judgment is sin that's not confessed is sin that gets judged. I'm not doing the judging. Lord, I'm just saying, God, please forgive me of my sin. Man, how many of you make mistakes all the time? You fall short daily. Listen, I tell people every single day, I'm sorry. I'm telling you every day. In fact, on my cell phone, I've got a text message that says, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. And I, fo- I copy and forward that. I paste that to about a dozen people every day. Because I know I mess up all the time. Hey, I, I mess it there, forgive me. Forget- Listen, I'm not the one doing the judging. God is the judge. Judgment's coming. Justice is coming. Jesus is coming. Joy is coming. And as a church, God wants us to be ready. Can I have a good evening? Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.